an Ironic Media production. Visit us at I-R-O-N-I-C-K media.com. And now, all of a sudden, I'm in that age group that's like, oh, holy smokes. Because now we're talking about it with kids and schools and all that. Mm-hmm. And so it's really interesting. Like, it's been learning for me, working through listening or reading. The body keeps the score. Like, right. wow, for a lot of people, like, oh, my goodness. It's learning about it. It's teaching about it. All those things help us think back and kind of then process and going forward, that just has to be part of the conversation because we're healing. We've all got it healing just for living life to the fullest. And it just needs to be mainstream conversation. Cause it's like, we all got it. Some form or another of Some trauma, big T, little T. Yeah. yeah. The more that we can have that just be conversation, then we can start to address it and normalize it. Welcome to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. In this show, I'll be sharing messages of hope, healing, and transformation. I'll teach you how to shift your mindset, conquer your fears, and become the best version of you. You'll hear incredible stories of transformation and about the extraordinary journey I've been on for well over a decade. My connection with energy is so strong, and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's get started. All right, today on the podcast, I have Dr. Valerius. Actually, I call her Jill most of the time when I see her. She is such a beautiful light in this world, and she is a physician, and she specializes in functional medicine. She is a dual board certified family and integrative medicine doctor. And like I said, she has that additional certification in functional medicine. She has a now health practice in Alaska. Her practice focuses on personalized care, which is amazing. And we were just talking about it. Like, how is it that this has only been recent that we can really sit down with our doctors now for a little bit longer? And and you have to be a specialized doctor, like you said, into functional medicine, where you have set aside this time. We've got so much to discuss. First of all, welcome to the show, Jill. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Amy. It's such a pleasure and honor. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you. So you have this membership-based program, which we were just talking about that affords you the time to be able to sit with people, right? You were just saying 75 minutes for a wellness visit. And I just love the fact that it is so well-rounded. So you ask them what their goals are. You go over what they're going through, what's their diet looking like everything. And then you talk about your concerns and it's really like a meeting of the minds and trying to help people get on the path to real health and wellness. So, all right, how did you get started in all of this? I wanted to be a doctor all my life since I was a little kid. So here I am. And early in my training in family medicine, I had a few mentors that were kind of dabbling in integrative medicine and really earlier functional medicine. So that piqued my interest. Like I was curious and I got the chance to spend some time with them. But uh, going through my training, you know, I'm board certified in family medicine. So I used to deliver babies and do all, That's do, so all cool. of, do all of the things. A few years after I had graduated from residency, I'd been doing a bunch of ER and urgent care work really around mostly Northern Minnesota, and then had an opportunity to come to Alaska, which was great. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do family medicine, I should probably get back into that 
before I spent so much time away that I'm like, ah, no, I think I'm comfortable with emergency medicine. I came here and I uh, helped start a practice and uh, successful, fun. But as time went on, I started really feeling some discontent with like how I was helping people really. Mm -hmm. And it was just kind of becoming one of those things like I think earlier on we had more time with patients and then the way things have evolved with insurance and all of those things appointment times get shorter you're supposed to do more with less time mm -hmm. I really feel like I like for a while kind of tongue-in-cheek was like I feel like a glorified drug rep wow and I'd really hit a point I want to say I was probably nine years into practice then I wasn't happy with what I was doing. I just felt like there should be something more. And that old functional medicine stuff was kind of toiling around in the back of my mind. And I ended up at Institute for Functional Medicine, the five-day AFMCP, and my life changed really, really for the better. So I had the luxury of going through that training. I did all my integrative medicine training. So there was a couple of year period where I just was like courses, 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 learning, learning, <laughs> and into starting to integrate that into my practice, which then eventually left me to leaving that practice and starting my own practice just over seven years ago. And now I've morphed my model with that as well. What would you say is the number one difference between functional medicine and seeing a regular physician? Asking why. Okay. I love that. I was reading your website and you do ask why, and I think that is so important. So why is asking why so important? Well, I think we, we get comfortable in like people understand medicine to some extent, like it, you're drinking through a fire hose. There's so much information coming out. And now it's like exponentially more information every day than there was even when I was training 20 plus years ago. Mm -hmm. There's a decision point We're we're really trained in making a diagnosis. Once we have a, your, your diagnosis, now, and certainly when I was in training, we learned pharmacology at the same time. What drug matches a diagnosis? Like, how do we treat it? Mm -hmm. and, and for some things, like if you have pneumonia, like, yeah, okay. Or a bladder infection, like, yeah, we've, we probably need to treat it. That's easy. Mm -hmm. But when you start to think about things, we've applied that model, that simplistic model to now what we deal with is more than 70% of chronic disease. Like, okay, you have high blood pressure. Why? Mm -hmm. Versus, and that's the big thing, diabetes. Why? Autoimmune disease. Why? I know what drugs we can use, but, but it's really going back to asking that why and starting to think about, well, what if, if you have diabetes and you have a poor diet and you're eating mostly processed foods or fast foods, white things, sugar, all of those things, there's a lot we can do mm -hmm. to reverse that. But, and, and I think it's not that doctors don't want to address some of those things for certain, but we also just in a regular office, you don't, you don't have time. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's takes a long answer when you're asking why, right? Like it's right. mind, body, spirit. It's what's well, everything yeah. doing together. 
Yeah. So let me ask you something. So a lot of, I've heard this before that you guys only get as doctors, an hour of nutrition teachings in med school. Okay. That is true. Yeah, no, we get, and I don't remember the exact hours, but it's not very, it's not much. Right. So you realized that you needed more training in that, obviously. I mean, we, we both know each other well from a conference that we go to and she definitely believes a lot of the same things that I do about how the body really needs to be fed. Well, my body spirit. So, okay. When you're treating somebody and, and they're making progress, like, are they like, wow, like, is this some, why, how is this not done all over the place? Right? Like, do they come to you and say, what the heck is going on? Some do. I have had the luxury. I've been in the same area for over 17 years. And I just had the luxury this last couple of weeks to be able to connect with some of the patients and people that I have worked with, like almost my whole time here. Like I've just seen them recently and we've been able to kind of just think back. And so many of my patients have walked the, this journey with me, hmm. which has been really neat. And now patients patients that are new, newer to me at this point, like come via word of mouth, they know somebody and people are looking, which, which I'm sure your whole audience knows people want to talk to a provider who wants to help them. Like, can I reverse this? What can I do to impact this versus just take a pill? There's, there's always going to be a population that's just like, yeah, I just want just, a pill. Yeah. And that's okay. There's a lot of providers out there that can take care of that. Right. But now like you empower people. I do. And it's all about that. And so like, are there days when some people are like, oh my gosh, like we did. Absolutely. <laughs> like, how did we do that? Like one of my favorite examples to you is, is we have these different ways to monitor your blood sugar now. And I don't have one on today, but you can get a little like Freestyle Libre or a little Dexcom and, and you can scan with your iPhone. I've seen those little dots that are on people's arms. So what, how does that stick to the body and how is it getting a reading? Because I've been very curious and I've been a little afraid to like touch them. Oh, no, super <laughs> cool. It's So there's a little like an applicator and there's a needle next to that, but then there's a monofilament. And so certainly with the Libre, it's doing interstitial fluid. Mm -hmm. And there can be some variability as to like, is that actually the same number that you're going to get if you stick your finger? Okay. But the cool thing is, I mean, as long as we're not trying to base an insulin dose on it and, and those kind of things. It's just one aspect of information. Yes. Like, but how empowering, like I've had people that I've worked with, with diabetes for years and man, give somebody a tool that they can just check. They can eat something and go wow, I thought that was probably, you know, I'd been told years ago, this was good for me to eat. I should eat brown rice. And I have people come back and go, you know what? Brown rice makes my blood sugar go up too. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> but it's so empowering because people can realize like, right. wow, if I eat an apple, I'm getting a little bit more of a bump. But if I have an apple and some cheese or some nuts, now my blood sugar doesn't go as high. Huh? If I go for a walk, like we know this is you go for a walk after a meal, your blood sugar is not going to go as high 20 minute walk. 
Wow. I didn't know that. That's so yeah. simple. See, like, this is what I'm talking about. You are, you're amazing. You have all this information. That's so helpful for everybody, which is what we were talking about. You said, I have a lot more information than the average person. And if you're seeing your doctor for 15 minutes, there's no way you're getting that information out of them. There's no time, but oh. it, you know, with the newer model, I think where we're moving towards is this relationship that you have with your doctor. I forget that even back in the day, maybe the fifties or sixties, there was a whole, this whole thing is like, dads didn't go to the doctor because they were afraid of the doctor. <laughs> and I, I, somebody recently mentioned that. And I was like, oh man, I remember hearing about that growing up and thinking, oh, that's weird. Cause I used to go to the doctor all the time. Cause I was, I had chronic illness growing up as a child, which again, unfortunately my mom didn't realize that sugar, gluten, and dairy were just really bad for me. As soon as I eliminated those things, my health really got a lot better. I know that you have this morning routine that you do, which is so important as a doctor to think about, well, you tell us what your morning routine is and I'll tell you why it's impressive. <laughs> so my morning routine generally, one of my big focuses is sleep. So I am one of those people that are probably in bed between eight and nine, nine thirty. She lives I mean, in Alaska. It's like dark at like five, right? <laughs> Yeah, except for not now. <laughs> in the winter, yes. But I tend to be an early riser. So if I go to bed too late, I'm just going to short myself because I wake up. Right. I wake up at, I generally wake up around 5.30 in the morning. I read. My latest routine is 20 minutes of reading, 20 minutes of meditation, journaling, gratitude, something to that effect in 20 minutes of movement or strength. To me, like it just sets the tone for my day. And when I don't do that, like I know, like I skipped something. Mm -hmm. I've done a much better job this year. So seven years ago, when I moved my practice, my practice is three quarters of a mile from my house. I live in a little town, Palmer. And so I've like, I've gotten really good about walking to the office. Oh, wow. That's great. It's 15, 18 minutes, whatever, but it's just a really nice way to either just walk quietly or I'm listening. I, I'm a consumer of, of all things, knowledge. So a podcast books, but sometimes just listening to the birds, but walking each day to the office has been a game changer, especially in this last year with all the stress and mm -hmm disorganized energy that's out there and discombobulated energy that's out there. I like, man, just get outside and go for a walk. Yeah. So helpful. I'll tell you, I can attribute my latest modification in my morning. Like I've generally always like meditated, read and done some sort of movement, but I listened to Jack Canfield mm. last March. And I don't, I don't know if you got to hear him speak at our conference. Oh, I did. Yes. Yeah. Jack is an amazing guy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely amazing. And he had commented and he talked about like how most of the successful people he knows, he really did this 202020. Like it resonated right. And like, so I've talked to a lot of patients about that. How can we do that? And it fits with my idea too. When I'm talking to people, I have been an endurance cyclist, runner, all those things. So I've spent hours and hours doing lots of those things. And I do enjoy that sometimes, but I'm really, really keyed in on efficiency and effectiveness. 
-hmm. Because if I can do three or four strength exercises in a short period of time and get the benefits that I need rather than an hour in a gym, Mm -hmm. I will, I'll do it. Right. I totally agree. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I mean, and that's, it's really hard. So that 2020, it's worked really well for me. Do you do HIIT training? I do some HIIT training. So yeah, I'm a bit variable, but you know, one of the key things, especially male or female, as we age, strength is so, so important. And And why? Why? Yeah. Why? I mean, I know why, but tell us. Yeah, no, as we age, we, we tend to lose muscle mass Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be hard. You can do the key three exercises. It's a squat, a chest press and a single arm row. It hits 85% of your major muscle groups and it will help you maintain that muscle mass. Wait, single arm row. Like a row, like. Oh, pulling up. Like you're starting a um, lawnmower. A lawnmower. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, so really, I mean, really simple. You don't need a lot of tools. You can use a resistance band, Mm -hmm. those kind of things. Like it's so, it's so important. I measure body composition with patients. And so we track that as well, which is really important because then people can actually see we get, I like, I know how many pounds of muscle you have. And if we're going to modify weight, whether we're trying to gain weight, lose weight, I don't want people to gain fat, lose muscle. Right. I also don't want people, I've seen people do pretty significant diets and, and like tank their muscle mass. And I'm like, okay, you're, you're 20 pounds thinner, but you lost 10 pounds of muscle. Like you're gained body fat. Right. Are you, do you feel comfortable sharing what that might've been? (laughs) Like what, what diet? A female, probably early mid forties on a keto diet. Oh, wow. Huh. But wasn't exercising, just wanted to get into the size two or the whatever. And I was just, okay, congratulations. You got, you're fitting, you're fitting in whatever size you wanted to be in. But I'm like, in this person, it might've been 15% body fat gain. Like, I mean, it was really it was, a, wow. it was a chunk of weight loss, but it was mostly muscle. Oh, shoot. Oh, yeah. You know what? My arms are a little bit floppier than they were. Like, I should really do strength. And I'm like, yeah, because mm-hmm. lighter isn't always healthier. Right. Well, that's a huge misconception that really has plagued our society. Thin is healthy and not. it's not always true. Mm-mm. I guess the reverse could be true. Obviously you don't want to be too heavy, but somebody who's not super skinny, it could also be healthy. <laughs> right. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and that's why like I use like body composition and yeah, it's important. Or, and we get to use that. And when you have a tool that you measure it, I mean, that just helps somebody. If, if you're older and you live alone and you can't get down on the floor and pick something up and get back up, mm-hmm. like it's a safety risk. That's not even playing with your grandkids or picking up right. We spoke a little bit before about how people are used to going to the doctor because they're like sick. Mm-hmm. And, and the way that insurance works, like you have to have a reason. Right. You can't go talk about like, hey, I want to avoid diabetes and 
how do I avoid getting a heart attack and falling and breaking my hip? There aren't diagnostic codes. You can kind of maybe fit that under a preventative, but like, like I like to really foster the idea of what are your goals? What do you, what do you want to be able to do? I mean, sure, we can monitor diabetes. We can do all of those other things, but like, what do you want? And medicine hasn't ever said like, Amy, what, what are your health goals for the year? (laughs) Right. And it's really important to think about it that way because, because a physician in the future should really be, I'm a coach and I'm a guide with you. I'm also a physician, but like I'm walking this journey with you. You're an expert guide. Yeah. Yeah. The best kind to have with you. If you really, if, if health and wellness is your goal, then yeah, you definitely want a doctor like you. That's going to be able to give you the right advice. I know somebody who had a surgery to remove her gallbladder and the doctor said there was no adjustment needed for her diet. And I was kind of shocked to hear that. I had that conversation with one of my more senior patients that I've known for years and years, irritable bowel, like, ah, your diet doesn't have anything to do with that. Oh Oh my God. Well, unfortunately that's kind of still, it's just, it is, it's where we are with conventional medicine because unless at this point in time, Unless as a medical provider, I go and seek education and I'm reading and those kind of things, like you're, you're not going to get that information by osmosis. No drug reps walking in here, talking to you into your office about diet and lifestyle. Right. They're walking in with their box of pills to put in your drug cabinet and tell you what, which patient should get this drug. Kind of like the ads on TV. Yeah. Yeah. The best thing to do with the TV is to turn it off. Yeah, totally. Watch a documentary or a movie sometime. There's a lot of great information out there that you're not going to find on the TV about health and wellness. That is helpful to get us on the right path. What three things should we all be doing for better health and wellness? Three things. Eat well. What does that mean? Try to eat whole foods. My suggestion would be mostly plant-based with lean proteins. So lean and quality proteins. So game meat, fish, poultry is fine, grass-fed beef. If you're eating beef, those kind of things, really important. For some people, it depends what issues you may have going on and what your tolerances are. So it takes some consciousness around eating to figure out how you feel, but whole grains, some people do great. Some don't. Healthy fats, avocados, olive oil, avocado oil. For some people, coconut oil. There's definitely good things. Butter is not categorically a bad thing. People think butter is a bad thing. That was from the margarine movement. Right. And it's, it's like, yeah, like I grew up with it. Yep. Country crock in the, Mm -hmm. but you know, I would say, so number one diet. So really like whole foods, And then if you have dairy issues, then avoid dairy. If you, I just, I tell patients, like if they go to someone and they say, this is exactly how you have to eat. And we, and we both know people that are like, you have to do keto. You have to be paleo. You need to be a vegan or a vegetarian. Like, eh. right. I'm like the more, the more adamant someone is, I tell patients to probably back away because all have to figure out, like I have seen people improve their health 
dramatically on more of a vegetarian pescatarian diet. So vegetarian with like fish. And I've seen people totally improve their health on a keto diet. Right. So it's balance really. So nutrition, number one, number two, movement. Movement is hard. I like to use movement instead of exercise because a lot of people really don't like to exercise, but at a minimum, think about when a baby can crawl, they crawl. When they can walk, they run and they don't stop until probably we set them down in school. Right. That's true. And depends on how we were brought up, what did our parents do, who were our friends, like how active were, were, were we? But really, when you think about that cycle of life, like movement is imperative, like we have to, and, and it comes with aging and it's that muscle mass. If you fall and break your hip, 50% chance you're in a nursing home, 50% of those people will probably die within a year. Like those are real risks. So right, right. diet, movement. And now can I have four? <laughs> okay. Sleep. Yeah, Sleep definitely. Is really, really important because it's when your body toxifies, it regenerates. We need sleep and really stress and stress is a huge thing, but that is going to bring in spiritual, mental, all of those other things. And I see how much of a role that has played over a 20 plus year career in medicine, how much stress we can throw trauma under that, like how much that is evolving and how much of a role really that that is playing in all the chronic disease that we deal with today, which is easily 70, probably to 80% of what physicians now see is chronic illness. And we see it in, we see it in children, not just adults anymore. So yeah, I was actually, it was, I was like the only kid in my class that was chronically sick that I recall. I remember being embarrassed all the time because Mm. I had asthma, because I had allergies, because I was sick, because my nose was running or whatever. It was definitely weird. And I remember not being allowed to do gymnastics because the coach didn't know how to handle me because I had asthma and he was afraid that he would miss something or yeah, I don't, I don't think he understood what it was. So I wasn't allowed to do it. I did play soccer and all my coaches were awesome, which is why I stuck with soccer. I loved it. And and I was supported there, but yeah, it was just interesting growing up in the eighties and it just being so different. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was also weird. My doctor did say not to have milk that seemed to irritate yeah. me. So that, but it wasn't like it was strictly watched or anything like that, but yeah, yeah it was like that. Yeah. You try that. <laughs> I feel sometimes Amy, that we're getting back your town doctor, your family yeah. doctor that really knew you and your family. And I think that that happens in a lot of places, especially in smaller places. And, and I do think people are fortunate to have a relationship like that with their physician but I feel like kind of what I'm doing is like, it's, we're really going back that way. And people want that. Like, I love, like I have three generation families. And so when I know grandma and grandpa, I know mom and dad, I know the kids, it's just a different relationship. And I also kind of, if somebody calls me concerned about something, I, 
I know about them too. I know where they're have a better idea where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. And it allows me then to actually be able to do some more things without always you having to come into the office. I can field some of those questions when I know the parents of the child and like I can field some of those via a patient portal or a quick uh, telephone call or a video visit. Like there's so many, there's so many advantages to that. Some of that is coming full circle. That would be really nice. Yeah. I mean, we've got to, don't get me wrong. We have a long way to go. (laughs) (laughs) We do. And, but I think that there are a number when, with you, when you see some of these direct primary care movements, some of these more membership kind of halfway between a direct primary care, divine my own thing, but those things are starting to create that. Do you get a lot of flack from other doctors who are more of like the mainstream type doctors that are like, why do you listen to them? Why are you wasting your time? Not so much at this point. I did get some of that flack before I left and went out on my own, but now I engage with who I need to, but also really who I want to. Awesome. Well, you're very mindful. You have a mindful practice in the morning. You're very knowledgeable. You've definitely been doing this a long time. You kind of don't have to prove anything to anyone, right? (laughs) Just do your thing. We all get down these paths. This last year, it's like, wow, I got to really get back to focusing on my health as well, because taking care of people is a big business. And anybody who's a mom or a dad knows that you got to really focus. I need to focus and be an example. And because I think it makes a big difference if you see someone who's more healthy that eats better, that moves, that all those things, like you're going to have more conversations about it. Right. Well, and you also don't sound like a hypocrite, right? Like if you're like, Hey, eat healthy greens. And meanwhile, you've got McDonald's sitting on the counter while, you know, right. <laughs> that, right. that's and not jiving with the person who's receiving the information. But I can tell you, there's a lot of offices that are full of that, but they're also not talking about what to eat either, but they are eating McDonald's. Yeah. Doctors deal with a lot of trauma. It's a lot of responsibility making these calls for whatever it may be, whether it's medicine or this is how you can avoid it, blah, 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 or watching somebody die. I'm thinking that you guys really don't have much in terms of being taught how to deal with these things or any support. There's, yeah, there still isn't. It's just so sad. It really depends where you are. I mean, I think that there's these efforts to do debriefings and that kind of thing. I'm far enough out of obviously my training and being like in the hospital, maybe they're doing more than I thought. Like I, I work with one of our local fire departments. One of the chiefs is just really, really good about this. So I've been in to speak for their academy week, uh, talk about resilience and, and really just talk about getting kind of that sympathetic and parasympathetic and talking about all these things. I have been fortunate without really using the word trauma because we like, I don't even know if we knew what trauma informed practices were when I was in the, in residency on the late nineties. Like, I don't even, you know, we, we didn't even talk about that. And I just think I, sometimes I, I have had some really good guides along the way, but as I've learned more about the role trauma plays in our health. I think about several years ago, maybe four years ago now, I was at a conference, a kind of a chronic illness conference. 
conceptually, I just started to realize like, wow, because they were talking about dynamic neural restabilization and limbic retraining and all of that stuff. Like I kind of knew that, but conceptually I was like, mm. but man, a light just went off then. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is that missing piece. And I would say, thinking back over my career, I haven't had a lot of big T's, all kinds of little traumas, mm -hmm. probably. But once you just start to understand that, and, and it's been through me learning more and more about that, I know it's helped myself, but I just see how much of a role, like how much of chronic disease that we're dealing with today and all that is this stuff, I'm, I mean, I'm in the generation of like my parents, like everything was swept under the rug, mm -hmm. everything. My age mostly swept under a rug. And now all of a sudden I'm in that age group that's like, oh, holy smokes. Because now we're talking about it with kids and schools and all that. Mm -hmm. and so it's really interesting. Like it's been learning for me, working through listening or reading the body keeps the score like right wow for a lot of people like oh my goodness it's learning about it it's teaching about it all those things help us think back and kind of then process and going forward that just has to be part of the conversation because we're healing we've all got it healing just for living life to the fullest and it just needs to be mainstream conversation because it's like we all got it some form or another of some trauma another. big t little t yeah yeah the more that we can have that just be conversation then we can start to address it and normalize it yeah so when you were at that conference where you was your big aha moment that trauma is really underlying a lot of the chronic illness because it's hijacking the nervous system and yeah. 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 When I just, when I then was thinking about, especially when I was thinking about like what's happening in the nervous system, that made sense to me how like years and years ago, if I would be working with someone and like, we would like, they'd be better labs, but there's a lot of things that were better, but I couldn't get help somebody get to hundred mm percent. -hmm. And now I kind of like, oh yeah, we just think of those patterns that can happen to us neurally that like, unless we start to learn some tools to help work through that. And I think some people have learned that through like yoga and breath work and tapping, like different things that now they're kind of like, and I think a lot of people have kind of unknowingly been able to start to reprogram that. But the more we can focus on that, like for me, it really was a like, wow, this really is one of the legs of the table. Of, yeah. It's, well, it's one of the missing pieces that yeah. has not been, it hasn't been addressed because it hasn't been recognized. And do you think in the future, it's really just going to become more and more normalized talking about it? Yeah, I think so. It I, seems well, to be everywhere, even in yeah. the last like two years. Well, I mean, it needs to be honestly. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Like, I mean, I think about going through training as a physician, like the experiences you have, like we have a lot of traumatized, certainly doctors out there. I, I don't know so much about the training for other healthcare professionals, but I have a good idea about MD training, which I went through like, yeah, 
Yeah. Well, when you think about that, it's a little scary thinking about traumatized doctors because a traumatized person isn't going to be thinking from their highest self. So right. they're going to, they might make a decision out of fear rather than what's best. Jeez, that's scary. I, it just is beyond me why we have, we don't have regular programs out there for doctors, for firefighters, for police officers, even teachers bring about this awareness, but hopefully that's where we're going. Is to I, be able I think to educate. we're getting it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like we're starting and there are places where it's definitely there, but there's a lot of places it's not. Right. So you, do you recommend those kinds of things for your clients like mm -hmm. tapping yoga? Yeah. Yeah. Figured. Yeah. Yeah. It's really neat when you see somebody instituting some of those things. Like I just see with one fire station that I've worked with a bit more, like the conversations, it's just like, it's so like cool to see that at play. They're healthier. Yeah. They're communicating better. Yep. It's so, so cool to see that. And you hit on one thing that coming from a place of fear, so much of conventional medicine ends up fear-based. I, I feel like the way that we, I was trained and probably a lot of doctors were is like, well, you need to do this or else, or you need to do it this way or because, or this. It's really, in some senses, a bit of a fear-based model in how much of that, like, that's how we are trained, that's how we heard people talk, that's how we were spoken to. I mean, life itself can be scary enough if you deal with a diagnosis. It's scary enough in and of itself to, like, learn things and process things, much less to have somebody tell you, well, you have to do this this way. Right when you haven't even been able to like wrap your hat around it kind of like, right. so I think we do have a lot of fear-based decision-making fear-based guidance fear because of trauma, because we're in a ridiculously sympathetic dominant world right now. Like we're, mm -hmm. re people are just reacting. We like, it takes a lot to be able to like, go, Whoa, wait a minute. Let me process and think about this before I, react and give you an answer. Yeah. Well, I bet the doctors are also coming from a very traumatized space because mm -hmm. they're worried if they make the wrong decision that they're going to lose everything. So yeah. I can understand that. Clearly I get that. But to me and the way I've structured my practice now, like I have time, like to me, it has to be a conversation. And if you spend time with people, you get to have a conversation. So I think there should be less fear of like, whoa, if I make the wrong decision, like I tell people whenever I see them, like, this is the best knowledge I have today. If I learn something different tomorrow, you're going to hear me tell you something different. It's not because I didn't know today. I'm, I'm working with the tools that I have. And I think people really appreciate you being able to say like, this is what I know right now. This is what I think is the best option or this is the best knowledge that we have or sometimes even just saying like you know what I don't know I need to look that up mm -hmm. and that's I don't think that's how he's been modeled in medicine to yeah no got to kind of have an answer and I think right will appreciate the human side of you that's like you know what I don't know the answer to that like right patients teach me stuff every single day 
Right. And one size doesn't fit all. I remember after I gave birth and I had high blood pressure and they gave me medicine and I thought, well, this is what life is like taking this medicine. And they, they asked me, how are you feeling? I'm like, well, it feels like my blood pressure is all over the place, but I guess it's okay. And they were like, whoa, well, what do you mean? And I was like, well, these are my numbers. They're like, it should never even look like that. And then it turns out it was related to a gene I have. And my dad has that same gene. And apparently he had been on that medicine and it didn't work for him. So having those kinds of conversations can save your life. And I just thought, oh, well, I'm, I'm a new mom and my hormones are all over the place. And I just moved to a new area. You know, I didn't know. So thank God I had a conversation with that doctor and was able to get on something else that could help me out for the time that I needed it. Yeah. Well, it was so wonderful to talk to you. So tell us how everybody can reach you. I know you have the new health practice Right. That's what it's called. Yeah. No, now health. Now health. Yeah. So on my website, you can go to nowhealthpalmer.com. Uh, and I've got information there. Uh, I've also got a YouTube channel. So I try to cover, all, I've covered a lot of different topics or high blood pressure, this whole resilience and polyvagal theory kind of things, cognitive decline, high cholesterol, like So I've got a lot of things on YouTube on the Now Health channel as well. I'm on social media, Mm -hmm. Facebook, Instagram. I'll be honest, I'm probably not the best poster. I kind of come (laughs) and go on streets. (laughs) But really, if you reach out through nowhealthpalmer.com website, like, yeah. Awesome. My passion is educating and empowering people because we have for our health and the health of the world, we have to move away from just this diagnose and prescribe model. That's yeah. not creating health. I could tell when I met you that you were special and you're doing really great work in this world. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for being here on the, uh, the podcast and sharing all that wisdom with us. Absolutely, my honor. Thanks for taking the time and thanks for educating people in the way that you are because it takes an army of us to... Yeah to really just to let people know there's a way you have more power than yeah than you've been led to believe yeah yeah Yeah. you're amazing thank you thank you amy all content provided by amy stark and or her guests on the stark transformation show website or other platforms including text images audio or other formats are created for informational purposes only always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition amy stark is not a doctor or a therapist